baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Joining me on the line right now, Ron Bailey, the chair of psychiatry at LSU Health New Orleans School of Medicine. Dr. Ron, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for making the time. Welcome. Oh, thanks for having me, Ian. Great, great, great. Um, cool. Let's just jump right in, man. Um, why do people enjoy watching scary movies? Is there a, a like a psychological explanation for people having this fascination with being scared and being in suspense? What's that about? Well, we, we think so, and thanks for having me again as well. Um, we clearly recognize that people are different, and different persons have differing responses, if you will. Some tend to enjoy what we almost call a post-fearful, a post-being-haunted you know, high, that uh, after the initial scare, there's a bit of a euphoria. They, 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 their mood is elevated. We actually have seen this, I think, on scanning. So it's interesting that for many of us, a scare will make you feel, you think you feel worse afterwards, uh, depressed and sad and anxious and fearful. But some people have the um, contrary response and they have a bit of a high. Uh, there are other people, though, that I think they don't necessarily have that high, but it helps them deal, they think, with real fear. So if you had some practices almost, so to speak, a uh, scary movie, there was something really bad happens, you feel you can handle it a little bit better. Uh, I think all of these tend to be more the minority circumstances. Most people don't like or don't enjoy this. That's why it's surprising for us when we find somebody else who does enjoy scary movies to recognize why. Um, so can watching a scary movie serve as a form of like exposure therapy for people who have certain fears or phobias or have some sort of trauma um or does it have some sort of limitations in that regard has anyone never thought of doing that i think that's well said i think that we talk about exposure therapy we speak about implosion therapy there's a variety of terms in psychiatry for strategies that we use in individual psychotherapy that are incremental they're step by step a little by little and the way to manage fearfulness of a big event is to have small quanta, small examples of such an event, where deep down you know it's really not that bad. Yeah. A scary movie is not quite the same thing as living through a real hurricane or a tornado, but that small moment of fearfulness that you can recover from teaches you can recover from a bigger problem overall. Now, we don't want to have a hurricane or a tornado or a car wreck or what have you, but there's some people, I think, who recognize that the small post haunted or fearful high, we call it, after a bad event, helps them grow and emotionally handle more serious uh, adversity. Excellent. Did I hear you use the term implosion therapy back there? Right. What uh, is that? Some of the term you, some of the term you discussed earlier, these, these ideas that we will flood you with a lot of bad, scary, anxiety-provoking exposure, mm-hmm. whether it's what you hear or what you see in a movie or that you experience with your senses. And that changes your body, your own neuro and your brain physiological response system. Whoa. You change a bit, you grow a bit, and you get better able to handle a really bad problem that may come later. So uh, implosion therapy is, is, am I correct, that's just kind of another way of saying exposure therapy? They're kind of the same thing? 
Absolutely. Okay, great. Um, can you say more about that? And I know there's most of us listening probably uh, won't won't know some of the jargon, but um, help us if you could. What actually specifically happens in our brains, in our bodies, chemically, in those moments when we are frightened and we get that, uh, you know, a, a chemical reaction, a dopamine or an adrenaline release? What is happening physiologically? Uh, when we are responding to something scary on a TV screen. You're exactly right. Uh, you get an adrenaline rush. Uh, this all comes out of the cocotropin system. Uh, we talk about uh, neurotransmitters or chemicals in the, in the, in the brain, uh, epinephrine and norepinephrine. Uh, you want to have a, a body that and a brain that can respond normally. If uh, you and I are walking down the street having a discussion with our friend, we don't really want a rush of norepinephrine. But if a snake popped up that may get ready to bite us, ah. that rush of epinephrine uh, turns you on high. Um, blood goes to your, your, your muscles and your legs so you can run fast. Your eyes wide and they dilate so you can see. You can do all the kind of things you can do to protect yourself. You want to be at your most alert and you're most able to respond physiologically. For many people, you go to the movie, uh, you see a scary movie. And I heard the ones you listed earlier. It and, you know, um, um, the ones with, you know, the 13th Day Massacre and Friday the 13th, excuse me, those type of movies are like, sure. and, and you, you, you have an adrenaline rush. You're sitting there and your system seems like it's on fire. I mean, you're on high. Uh, and then you, you, you get up very high, but deep down, you know, it's a protected environment. Part of you knows that this is not a real scary event. The guy isn't going to come out of the movie theater and, and hurt you. So you, you get the high of a rush of adrenaline. You almost fool your brain into thinking that it's real because you know it's gonna, you're going to come back down after a while, and, and you laugh about it. Some of the per- persons who like to go to the uh, amusement park and ride the highest rides that take you up high and hold you in air, and at that moment of trepidation, you know you're going to come down hopefully safely, but the, the high is what they're seeking. So it's an adrenaline rush. Then other people, they call them white knucklers, just a term we use for persons who like that moment where you are so fearful and you really don't know if something bad is going to happen. You're squeezing your hands, you know, you, you have white knuckles, so to speak, and you the enjoyment you get when it comes to relevance that you've got to yeah. be safe. Uh, you come down from that high fearfulness, they tend to enjoy that too. So we see more than one reason why some people like scary movies. Very cool. Dr. Bailey, I'm going to keep you around a little bit longer, but we have to step away here to cover some breaking news. Uh, the representative from Louisiana's 4th District has been successfully elected to the Speaker of the House in Washington, D.C. We'll get a quick update from CBS News in that regard. Congratulations, Representative Mike Johnson, the new Speaker of the House from Louisiana. Love that. Uh, We'll be right back after a very short update from CBS News. I'm Ian Hoken for Scoot, and we'll be right back after this. More on the Israel-Hamas conflict coming up at the 210 News Bomb, but still with me on the line right now is Ron Bailey, the Chair of Psychiatry at the LSU Health New Orleans School of Medicine. Um, Dr. Bailey, what are some potential negative side effects of watching scary movies, um, what effect can that have on our mental health? So, I mean, obviously, I would point to probably low-hanging fruit, like I had nightmares after I watched this scary movie, or I had increased anxiety. Um, is that kind of the baseline? Could it get any more serious than that? Well, that's certainly, I think, the big concern for those of us in healthcare, especially in psychiatric or mental health care, that uh, for some persons, they don't know how much resiliency they have and how much of this, you know, partial fearfulness, then you come down off the fear to have an emotional high of euphoria, how much they can tolerate. Uh, if you push yourself too far, just like in regular life, stress and stress and anxiety and anxiety 
can lead to what we call affective illness or mood disorder, like a diagnosis of clinical depression. In addition, I'm always concerned for some persons, if you keep uh, challenging this circumstance, you may think you're going to kind of come down from the um, anxiety-laden peak to an emotional high, Well, you may at some point come down to an emotional low because you've done it too many times and you overtaxed your brain's ability to handle that back and forth. We see that as well, and that's unfortunate. It makes me think of a film I saw, um, Paranormal Activity, which I guess is probably, I don't know, maybe like 10 years old now. It was recommended to me by my personal trainer, and he said that that movie in particular made use of a special kind of, uh, oh, I'm going to forget the name of it, but like a sub-aural audio frequency, like a a bass sound effect that was so low um, that it was almost imperceptible to hear but it creates a response in a, like a stress response in your body. So in the, in the part of the movie where, you know, the, the door is opening by itself and you can tell that the ghost has come into the room and the, the, you know, shades are fluttering a little bit. And it, so subtly there's this, like this very, very deep ultrasonic sound. Is that dangerous for us? I, I, I know that made the movie more intense, even though people didn't really realize that, that was happening but i feel like it, i feel like i've also heard examples of, of of things like that making people sick to the point where they're actually vomiting in movie theaters or, or something like is does that sound familiar to you at all well i've heard uh, a bit about it don't know uh, about it specifically probably can't speak about it as an expert but sure. i can certainly say that your your following point i think is well taken anytime the body responds in an excessive fashion negatively if they're nauseous, if they're vomiting, if they have extreme headache, if they're having, you know, trouble with blurry vision or whatever, clearly one thing we, we clearly know is regardless of what the stressor is, we have to learn more about the initial psychosocial stressor that you described. But regardless of what the stressor was, the results show that that person's brain and their body is not able to handle it. Yeah. And that's a key point. There are often uh, persons for a variety of reasons, age, you know, children versus adults, immaturity. Every 13-year-old is as mature as a, as a different 13-year-old. People are different. Uh, if there's been some prior problem in your life, that's what they ought to talk about tonight. If you've had a prior history of abuse, you may be a lot more like, a lot less likely to be able to handle these challenges because your brain is kind of shut down a little bit and can't show the resiliency I mentioned earlier that most people could tolerate at that age and that level of maturity. So you're 100% right. By the time you're having physiological symptoms, nausea and vomiting and headache and the like, dizziness, your brain is telling you you can't handle this. And that's a great point for your audience. People should recognize when your brain is saying these things to you, it's time to back away. Yeah. Um, can the can the, this is can the genre or, or the type of a scary movie um, change the way that it impacts our mental health? I mean, is there a difference in terms of our physiological response to you know, slasher films like you mentioned Friday the 13th or, so, or something like a psychological thriller or a, or a supernatural horror like um, a alien, you know, a scary space movie. Is there do you see any distinction between those types of different films and in terms of the response that our bodies have? Absolutely. I think that persons really? very often are likely to know what their body can handle or tolerate and what's more adversely impactful to them. Um, I'm a psychiatrist speaks about my mother a lot. <laughs> I said my mother has always been the nice little lady, 30, 40 years school teacher, et cetera, et cetera, but just terrified of heights. Ah. I mean, when I was growing up, she, she didn't want to you know, be in the car, and she didn't want to drive over the bridge. My father would have to kind of stop and 
whatever, get her ready to drive over a bridge. It's something she really couldn't handle. You would know it, and every other part of her life, things seem pretty normal. Well, for her, if she was watching a scary movie, and no matter what the other issues were, whether it was slashers or whether it was bad weather or a tornado, you know, there's yeah. a, a movie called Twister. Twister. Be, if it had to do with heights, whatever the adverse impact would have been on her normally would have been tripled. And, and that's a good example to me of how your, your audience should think about it. Most people may know what their particular area of vulnerability is. For my mother was heights. For somebody else, it may be knives. For somebody else, it may be insects or vermin. For somebody else, it may be, you know, um, I don't know, some kind of a you know, violent wreck or whatever the case may be. But if, you, if the movie has that particular issue and, on, and compounds on top of that, some of these other items you describe well, low sound waves, things that may also uh, impact you, a double and a triple effect is much more likely to overwhelm wow. your brain's ability to handle it. And that's at the point where you're going to start having physiological negative responses. Yeah. Great, great. Interesting. Okay. Um, I want to move to kind of the last part here. I want to talk about um, scary movies and kids. Are there age-appropriate guidelines for allowing children to watch scary movies? Like what what factors should parents be considering when they're deciding whether or not their kid is old enough to handle, you know, it or The Exorcist or something? I think there are three for, for me, and there, so there may be more. But the first big issue is you have to know your own child. So we say it's important to talk to your child. It's more important to listen to your child. Hear what they're saying and thinking and what's between their ears all the time. And the parent then should be the arbiter of what the child may not be able to handle. If you have children of different ages or children of the same age from different households, and somebody says, hey, let's go outside and play on the, on the swing set. That's one issue. Yeah. Or, hey, let's go outside and do this or that. But hey, let's watch a movie. Everybody says yes. Mm-hmm. You've got to know if your child can't really watch that movie mm-hmm. at that time or circumstance. Your mm-hmm. child may be able to watch that same movie during the daytime, but not at nighttime. Right. Because your, your child has nighttime terrors already. That's one example. Know your own child. Second issue is, yeah, we tend to think that when we look at age ranges, uh, their variability, obviously. But between the ages of about two and seven, we call it a magical thinking. Children already have a mindset that's geared to, you know, um, having inflammatory concerns about things that don't necessarily make sense to the rest of us. We call it, again, magical because they are putting two and two together. It's not really adding up to four, so to speak. So those tend to be ages that are particularly at risk. That doesn't mean anything magical about the seventh birthday. For many individuals, it's about their own individual level of maturity and emotional maturity. So they may not be seven. They may be less than that. They certainly may be eight or nine or ten, and they still really can't handle it. And that's something the parent, I think, has to know and to, to recognize. The third thing I typically say is we have to know our era and our environment. You made the point very clear. Uh, we live in an era now where what is scary is much worse than what it used to be. Uh, I'm about 60 years old now, so 50 years ago when I was 10, what would be viewed as scary wouldn't even really make it on to be PG now. Uh, <laughs> right. Rated, uh, yeah. Whatever. I mean, uh, I'm shocked when I watch television now what gets by uh, for it should be regular TV in violence and in sex. So I think for those reasons, I think parents should be particularly cautious about what their children are exposed to. Because remember, um, we, we read now that in an average child's life, but time, between the time you're, you're born and you go off to wherever, when you're 20 years old practically, college or military, and move out over the case, maybe 18, 20 years of age, you're going to experience over 100,000 incidents of, of violence, various forms. And as they keep growing and becoming incrementally more severe, mm-hmm. at some point you may get accustomed to them, and it may not scare you as much. But the other issue is some persons, I think, find ways to block it out. You don't really see it and you don't really hear it. But when something is really there right in front of you, 
because of that, you may not be prepared for it, and it may have a bigger adverse impact on you emotionally than you thought. Those are real issues, and I'm, I'm glad you, you got to talk about yeah. it today. Okay, uh, last one, Dr. Bailey. How might exposure to scary movies at uh, too young of an age affect a child's psychological development um, over a longer period of time? Like, uh, I'll use myself as an example. I like to joke about how <laughs> my sister traumatized me, scared the hell out of me by making me watch seven with Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt when I was in like first grade, I think probably too young to watch that movie. I didn't sleep for a month. Um, I like to joke about that, but really, could that have had a long-term effect? Absolutely. I think that, um, you know, a lot of today's discussions really evolved around how too much exposure clearly can have um, a, a short-term acute effect, but you're right. It can also have an intermediate to a long-term effect as well. Mm. I think things to consider are, uh, at some point we find out with that exposure if it was more than you could handle, I give you the word resiliency. Some folks are resilient; they can kind of come out of it. Other folks are not, so they never come out of it. So they always have some residual, lingering difficulty psychologically because of that initial exposure. Very often, it's not just one event, one time, one movie. It's more likely to be repetitive. So you're right. If your sister regularly terrorized you, I'm sure you've been playful about it, but the point is she probably did more than one event. Whether she'd scare you, or you'd watch a scary movie, or whatever the case may be. Uh, that can certainly uh, be, a, be uh, an issue that over time grows and builds. Then the young person develops kind of a defense capacity and mechanism to manage it because you're always getting scared by your older sister or scared by events. Uh, when you, those changes in your brain and how it responds to stimuli are likely to be, to be maintained, especially if they were very emotionally poignant and very real. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't just a little scare on a scale of 1 to 10. It wasn't a 2 or 3 or 4. It was a big scare. It was eight or nine, and it happened repetitively over time during a time period when your brain is very susceptible, very much um, uh, reliable and, um, and, and sensitive to these kinds of changes. You got it. What's in the box? Ron Bailey is the chair of psychiatry at LSU Health New Orleans School of Medicine. Thank you for your work and your way and spending time with us on WWL today, sir. I'll let you get back to it. Take care. You too. Thanks for having me. Have a good day. All right. Absolutely. I see Jim and Metairie is on the Oakland Heart Jewelers talking text line. You know that number. It's 504-260-1870. Give me a call or a text at any time. I'll be reading 100% of your texts. I'll try to reply to as many as I can. And the very best ones I'll be reading on the air. 504-260-1870. Ian Hoken for Scoot. Be right back. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 